Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. Christopher Mullen is a financial expert who challenges conventional investing wisdom and believes that investors should only own rising assets. With over 25 years of experience, Chris shares an alternative investment style called asset revesting that allows investors to achieve higher returns, lower drawdowns, and profit in a bear market. Chris founded thetechnicaltraders.com, which is a platform that provides investors with asset revesting signals and the education on using technical analysis and positioning themselves in the best place to manage risk. He is also the author of the book's Technical Trading Mastery and his newest book, Asset Revesting, which explores this very innovative investment method. Now, Chris's investment philosophy is actually grounded in the belief that diversification and the traditional buy and hold strategy can in fact be dangerous for mature investors especially. Instead, he advocates for only owning assets that are rising in value, I really like that, selling those that are in decline, good idea, and using technical analysis to identify and confirm the trends and price action. This approach, of course, helps investors achieve above average returns and minimizes their risk, which is what I'm all about. And he's also passionate about sharing his investment knowledge with others, which he's here to do today. And he's definitely dedicated to helping investors achieve financial independence. Now, without any further delays after that great bio, let's get this show started. Christopher Bulin, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for having me, Patrick. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, listen, I'm excited about this conversation. I have uh, seen you many times on other shows and have always really enjoyed what you bring to the table in terms of your knowledge and your insights. And we're going to get into that in a big way as we kind of walk through this. But, you know, for our listeners, I always like to open with the question of, you know, Chris, when somebody says, Chris, what do you do? Uh, you know, what's your answer to that question? And no rush, by the way, uh, you've got a very uh, kind of big history of stuff that you do. But today, when somebody asks you that question, what is it you do? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer of the, the kiss, the keep it simple, stupid. So I'm, I'm very passive and uh, I always kind of downplay most stuff. I'm kind of, you know, I would look at myself as I'm like an entrepreneur. I'm an inventor. I'm a technical analyst, investor. Um, I'm a father, a husband. I mean, I'm just a, an all-around kind of kind of guy. And um, uh, my real passion, my big passion, is creating stuff and investing in the markets, uh, the stock and bond markets. And uh, you know, doing that is very creative because you're building, you're creating systems and strategies, and it's a constant game. It's a lot, kind of like poker. A lot of emotions in there, and you're playing the emotions of the rest of the world. And, um, you know, in, in a nutshell, I'm just kind of a, a well-rounded kind of average person who does a lot of different stuff. And um, it's all stuff I'm passionate about, which, you know, I'm always busy, but I love what I do. And uh, nothing feels like work, which is the nice part of it. 
Well, now I know that, you know, you're, of course, your business, the technical traders, like, so when you look at what you're doing in terms of your finance and building a business, uh, are you, would you consider yourself an adv- a financial advisor, a stockbroker, kind of w- what part of that do you play or what kind of a handle do you put on yourself mm-hmm. for that? Right. So I am definitely not a financial advisor. I'm not a registered advisor in any way. I literally run a financial newsletter, which is runs under kind of the freedom of speech. So I share my research. I share my analysis, uh, how I'm investing my money, what I'm doing with subscribers who, who follow what I do. So I actually, I believe that the financial system is completely backwards in how it invests people's money. And my whole strategy and what I do is like a 180 polar opposite of the buy and old strategy and things like that. So uh, I'm kind of the opposite side of the coin, trying to help the people, helping investors. And you know, one of the biggest things I'm most passionate about right now, and I have been for a long time, but is the majority of the people, you know, investors are, you know, 45 plus, they've got the most wealth they've ever had. They're close to retirement, they're retired. And we're coming up to what I think is, you know, potentially some very difficult times financially. And I want to try to protect them. Uh, for years to come. And the current financial industry really doesn't have a system in place to protect people from multi-year disasters and financial resets that can happen in across across a whole spectrum of assets. So I'm trying to help other people avoid damage. And it's like Murphy's Law, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, the worst thing's going to happen at the worst time. And uh, I feel like that could happen to investors. And I just want them to see the light and and realize there's a, and another way to invest that protects capital and uh, that's what I try to do with my newsletter and, uh, and research. And something that I think, you know, first off, I want to point out that you are Canadian and uh, you, you know, you're out in Ontario near, not far from Toronto, but that's just to say you're Canadian. And I want to point out that, you know, something that you said that really rang true is around, and I don't remember what exact language you used, but it really differentiated the emotionality of investing versus the technical trading. And and there is a significant difference. And my understanding is, you know, certainly based on the name, you are a technical trader. Yeah. So there's, a, you know, when I got involved in the market, so long story short, going, going way back, I got it hooked on the stock market when I was 16 years old in high school. And our finance class had uh, a stock market challenge. And so we, we all had to pick stocks and follow the newspaper. And we ended up making like $180,000 or something like that in a semester with, with play money. But that was my eye, my eye opener as like, you know, 16 years old. I'm like, wow, this, uh, I just have to open a newspaper and I can make like ridiculous money. So I was pretty much hooked at that point. And, um, and so that's kind of where I kind of got into this whole area of the finance and, and trying to help, uh, you know, grow my money that way through, through the markets. And, it slowly just evolved into strategies and trading systems. And yeah, so it just kind of evolved that way. So let's talk about what's going on in the world today, because, you know, I've followed you and I've seen you on lots of shows. I really like your stuff. But I mean, this conversation for me, I think we would be remiss not to unpack what's happening in the world today. We look at what's happening globally, uh, whether it be Russia, Ukraine, U.S., China, India, uh, what's going on in Germany, the U.K. I mean, let's let's face it. It seems like a total shit show out there. Yet, as investors and as this community uh, looks at a lot 
lot at real estate investing, many look at other things. They look at stocks and equities. They look at precious metals. They look at Bitcoin. So we got a lot of ground to cover. So when you see what's happening in the world today, you know, and, and I've listened to some pretty prominent guys go, the stock market is going to blow up. It's going to go down. It's going to be an epic loss. I don't know where to start with it, but when you look at it, let's talk with the equity market. How are you seeing what's happening and kind of part of your thought process around strategy? Because we still have to exist. We still have to put our money to work. It's losing value at an epic pace. How do we put our money to work even outside of real estate in this conversation, uh, Chris? Yeah, so, Eamon, it's tough. I I mean, we're on a podcast, so people could be listening to this a long time down the road. So I don't really want to throw out predictions or anything like that. But uh, obviously, there's there's several stages to the stock market. So I'm a technical analyst, which means I I strictly follow price. I I can really care less about financials, uh, politics, everything that comes out, economic data. It's really useless, which kind of goes back to your previous question, which I, I didn't fully answer. But I'm a technical trader which means I follow the price charts. And the nice thing about following the price charts is we don't really care which way the market goes. We're not trying to pick a top and guess where a bottom is. We literally let the market pick a direction and then we use analysis uh, depending on the timeframe and we follow that trend and we jump on board and trade with it. Whether it's going up or down, we can benefit from it. And um, you know, there's four stages in the stock market And one of the stages, one of the stages that we could be in right now is like a stage three, a major topping phase. And we, the last two times that we had this was the tech bubble in 2000. And that was like an epic 80% crash in, you know, the NASDAQ. It took 16 years to recover. Uh, The next time we had that was the the 2007, 2008 market top. That was the financial crisis. That was another financial reset. And, you know, a lot of things are showing that that is what we're in. These are major topping phases. They can take a year or two to play out, but that is kind of where we are. And a lot of big, you know, other technical traders are looking at the charts and it is not a very rosy picture in terms of where we could be, you know, a year or so from now. So that's, that's where I really comes forward is I, I want to come forward and try and show people that, listen, you need to protect yourself, protect your lifestyle, protect your investments in case of a catastrophe. It is way better to miss out on some upside gains than it is to see 20 or 30 years of your life savings just vaporize in two, three, six months. Uh, but the, you know, the financial industry isn't designed for that. And people have, a, have the kind of the wrong mindset when they are investing in the stocks. They're always looking for returns versus always looking to protect themselves. And if you protect yourself, the, the profits come naturally and the profits are generally a lot bigger if you can avoid the downside. So that's kind of the angle that I go with the markets. And my outlook is looking like you better be in protective phase in case something bad happens down the road. And uh, again, there's just, uh, you know, an overwhelming number of people in retirement or about to retire that now is the time. And, and this, this, a lot of this bleeds back to growing up when I was a teenager, I actually got my pilot's license when I was 14. I started getting my pilot's license. I got it when I was 16. I could literally fly a plane uh, before I could legally drive a car. And, and, and during that process, I learned all about checklists. If, if, you know, if you're anything with a pilot, there's a checklist for walking around your plane before you get in, a checklist of pre-takeoff, a pre-taxi, che- like checklist for everything. And I remember doing my solo and I remember taking off, scared you know, shaking like a leaf. I took off and I'm flying the circuit around and I'm literally singing 
like an elementary, like little kid song. Like you're just, you're just so, so nerve wracking knowing this is it. Follow the checklist and you will be fine. It's just procedure. It's standard, you know? And, uh, and, and knowing that, uh, really got me into systemizing my trading strategies and being able to follow through and, and build on it. And, you know, uh, a few years later, my parents ended up going bankrupt and I had kind of, we were, we had a great lifestyle. They had lost everything and we went right back to the bottom of the food chain. And that was the second major kind of thing that hit me was like, okay, you can always lose your lifestyle. You can lose your money. Some bad things happen. And so those two events, learning to systemize things, follow rules, and then managing your capital, protecting your lifestyle. That is what I grew up uh, kind of with my first two major shockers. One of them was a really positive experience. One of them was a more negative, but they kind of blended together to, to make me who I am today. And I don't want people to go through uh, bankruptcy or lose 30 or 50% of their, their life savings right when they need it the most. And that's the, that brings us to where we are now. And, uh, you know, and I'm trying to try and protect people by getting them alert to what could be happening because financial advisors and the financial industry in general are just kind of the buy and hold. Things will be okay. 2022 is a bear market. It's over. You know, it's, it's, it's not what I do with my money. I would not risk my money with somebody just saying, oh, it'll be fine. That's not good enough. I've learned the hard way that it's not fine if you don't protect it. So there's so many things that I want to unpack in what you've just shared, you know, and first and foremost is that I think you shine a light on a great thing, which is what I'm hearing. And although you didn't say it directly, is that we got to take the emotionality out of our investing. It's certainly what I coach on the real estate side of things, you know, systemize, you know, have processes, you know, really look at the economic fundamentals that are driving a real estate market. Now you look at you know, the stock market, the equity market in a similar way in that you have systems to follow, something that keeps you in check. Like it's a, it's more than a gut check. This is okay. Technically, this is what it is. Emotions aside, let's be really pragmatic in our approach because emotions are what get people in trouble. I can't even tell you how many mistakes I've made on the stock market side of things because I got into this emotionality about it and I didn't keep myself in check, which is just my lack of discipline, number one, in that regard, or my lack of awareness, perhaps, or not having a system. And I think that you make a really, really important point for people to not get caught up in the emotions, which is really hard to do, given what's happening on social media feeds today. Want to comment on that, Chris? Yeah, well, emotions really power the markets. The market is how people feel about a particular stock or commodity or whatever it is. Uh, the, the market is just a wave of, of the mass psychology sentiment of people thinking that they can they can make money, they all pile in, or everybody freaked out and thinking they're going to lose money and they sell it. So it drives the markets down. I've, I, I created these short-term indicators, these custom tools that allow us to, to gauge what people are buying, uh, the ratio of what people are buying. And so I can tell in pre-market uh, in the mornings, I can tell when it's going to be a very stressful day for you know subscribers and investors in general. And I do a pre-market video every day. And I'm like, listen, guys, the market is going to gap way up or gap way down. They're you know, it's a high emotional day. All these things are telling us these things are going to happen. That is how the markets move. Don't panic. And so I've always really just the newsletter I do actually just tries to soothe their souls. Just let them relax, embrace the volatility. And I tell them what's going to happen in most cases. That's how it unfolds for the day. And 
you know, people are always like, oh my gosh, thank, thank goodness. You know, I have you to listen to my, have my morning coffee to every morning. Cause I, it's all about trying to gauge their emotions. And, you know, we have the systems in place, which really are that check and balance. There are times when I tell everybody like, you know, we've got to buy here or we've got to exit here. And I'll be like, I know it goes against every bone in our body, but all the technicals are breaking down. Things have changed. And I know you want it to keep going higher and it looks really strong, but it's actually, you know, not. And so we have to like, I always tell them just, just tear the bandaid off, hit the sell button, get out of a good trade, get out of a bad trade. Either way you have to get out of it. And if you have to just, you know, Curse and swear when you hit that button. You know, some people just don't like to get out of a trade, whether it's a loser, because then they're they've just proven all oh, they took a loss. Uh, if it's a winner, they think that uh, why would we get out of a winning trade? But uh, you have to be able to, you know, handle those emotions. And it is tough sometimes to hit that sell button uh, just because our emotions want to do the opposite. So, but you're it's interesting what you bring up is because you're technical. Your tech, the technicals actually will measure sentiment. Is that is that what I'm hearing? So that you're, uh-huh. you know, while everybody else is being emotional, you're not being emotional. You're just looking at the technicals, going, "Oh, sentiment is up, or it's down, or it's sideways, or whatever that might be." So and that's one measurement that you're using. It's not the only thing, of course, but uh, I mean, ultimately, that's what that does. Is that correct? Yeah. So sentiment is a big is a big part of of helping time the markets for when major trends are changing. Uh, and then, of course, there's the technical side, which is tr- price driven. And of course, we use a combination of of those and, and other analysis. But uh, sentiment is very, very powerful. But it's uh, it's a very short term thing. One day it could be one extreme, the next day it could be the other. So it's really just good as a confirming indicator and uh, really just to. So just for clarity, though, Chris, when we talk about this, you know, what you're trading, you're not day trading. Uh, well, at least I don't think you are. Buy and hold and forget it, you know, is not is also not your your pattern. So if you described your style of trading or kind of your strategy around trading, how would you best describe it? Yeah, so I, I've done the whole gauntlet. I've, tr- I've done everything from scalping and day trading and options and you name it, futures trading. I, I've done it all. And, you know, I went to school kind of, as a business administration, I wanted to become a CEO. And I, I said, I want to work on the factory floor and I want to work my way up. And um, and so, you know, I think uh, you need to figure out who you are as a trader and figure out the lifestyle you want, how much you want to stare at a screen, how much you want to trade, how much money you want to make, how much money do you have to work with? And all those things boil down to, okay, what strategies fit my that kind of particular profile? And so my strategy, I'm stuck in a very awkward spot when it comes to my strategy. So I am not an active day trader. I'm not an active swing trader like somebody who trades every week, but I'm not a passive investor who just sits here and lets things kind of go up and down and the the roller coaster ride with it. I'm kind of right in a spot between I'm too active for a passive investor with an advisor and I'm not busy enough for an active trader. And so I'm stuck. And of course, the big money is usually made where nobody is and which is a pretty interesting point because it, it brings us up to this sweet spot. And when somebody falls into my strategy and they're like, oh my gosh, this, this is absolutely amazing. We do like five or 12, we change our portfolio five or 12 times. We take one position at a time. So one ETF, which is like, a, it's kind of like a mutual fund. It's almost no work and we are protecting our capital. We're, we're generating returns as the markets are falling apart or going sideways. Uh, and, and people are like, you know, why isn't everybody doing this? But the problem is the majority of people are like, I don't know enough. My advisor does it. I'm just fine with whatever I get. I'm not happy, but I'm fine. And then you have the active traders who are like, no way. 
that is such a boring strategy. I'll never make enough money. There's not enough trades, but it doesn't matter how many trades you do. It comes down to what makes the most money. And so I have that sweet spot of five to 12 trades a year. We trade the most liquid assets, which are the stock indexes, treasury bonds, the US dollar, and we sit in cash a lot of the time. And uh, the nice thing about it is you, we can trade millions of dollars, like million dollar portfolios, no problem. And, and our whole account can keep going up. And that's the nice thing about it. We're not spreading it over a whole bunch of stocks. Uh, we're not doing the diversification, which is you buy stocks and bonds and some are going up, some are going down. You get stuck with uh, really poor average returns. And then when you do go into a major decline, like a, a, a stage four decline, a financial reset, all the assets go down that you're holding. So diversification doesn't help you. And that's one of the big flaws is with, with the traditional way. And why technical analysis is so powerful, because if you know what to rotate in and out of, you can dance around the market like it's nothing. And we're just catching nice, big, slow moves. These trades last sometimes six, seven, eight months. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward strategy on how we do it. So when you, you know, you've got technicaltraders.com. So give me a little bit of background on the business model itself, Chris. So I know that you're an author, you've recently released a book or about to, I'm not quite sure, but you've, you know, certainly uh, been in the game and played in the space a long time. You're uh, got a reputation for success in doing what you do, but give me a little bit of background in technicaltraders.com. Are you primarily education for investors or are you saying, okay, give me a thousand dollars or a million dollars or whatever the number is, and we're going to put it to work for you? Are you guiding your clients, if you will? If you're up for it, this is a good buy. Buy now. We'll watch it. You know, are you selling long, short? I got all these questions. Tell me a little bit about your model. And so we can kind of unpack that as well. Well, I've got you on the line here, Chris. Yeah, sure. So uh, what, I, what I offer are is a trading newsletter. You subscribe to it every morning or, or once or twice a week, depending on the newsletter. I have different, different kind of different newsletters for different types of traders. Uh, but more or less, all I do is I send you the information saying, hey, right now the stock market is on a buy signal. This is the ETF I'm buying 100% of my portfolio in. I'm expecting it to go up. Here's my protective stock price. Here's our first, second, and third targets. You, you can place these orders. You can copy what I'm doing. And, and so, you know, generally, it's mostly active traders or active investors who, who are managing their own money. They follow me that way. Uh, but we also have advisors taking our trades and, and using those for their clients. And then we also have auto trading. So you can just tap our system right into your brokerage account, your retirement account, and it'll execute every trade that I do in your account. And you can follow the strategy, but we don't manage money. We're not advisors. We, we run uh, strictly as a research and trade signal service and uh, make it accessible that way. That's amazing. So give me a little bit of your background, Chris. I mean, it sounds like you had an interesting growing up. I mean, when a family kind of loses it all, if you will. I don't know how old you were at that point, but again, you noticed it. Uh, your lifestyle changed. Your parents' lifestyle changed. Give me a little bit of your background in terms of where you started on this journey. I mean, you're very entrepreneurial, obvious. Uh, was Were your parents entrepreneurial? Like, how did you come by your entrepreneurial spirit and get to where you are? Give me a little bit of history of uh, Chris growing up. Yeah, sure. So we grew up in the country and uh, never had TV. So I was always out hunting, building forts, uh, I played. I played professional paintball. Uh, you name it, it's fishing. I'm just an outdoors guy. Well, hold on, There's hold nothing on. to do sorry on the TV. To, sorry to interrupt. Hold on, hold <laughs> on. Back up a little bit. Professional paintball. Are you kidding me right now? Like, what was you competing? That's hilarious. I love that. I wish I 
wish I would have grew up playing professional paintball. Uh, sounds like fun. Anyways, I digressed, but I just had to shine a light on it. You you paid, played pro. Tell me a little bit about it just quickly because I'm interested. Yeah, sure. So we've, we've got uh, one of Canada's biggest paintball fields in our area. Of course, all my buddies, we all played. And then the guy's like, well, you know, let's let's join the league. Well, we got sponsors. And then so we would travel around. We played these different games and we had unbelievable guns. We actually ended up playing in the, the Sky Dome. I was like 20 something years ago uh, with with teams from like 20 different countries. There was like 180 teams. We were on TV and it was, it was just awesome. It, it's <laughs> such awesome. a great sport. <laughs> Thanks for sharing the story. I know we digress, but I, I just, you know, a professional paper. Yeah. Who would have thought it? Anyway, so yeah. carry on. You did all that stuff growing up. It sounded pretty creative with no TV. You were forced to be creative. Yeah, I, exactly. So. Uh, yeah. So to kind of skip through everything that I've done. So I got hooked on the stock market when I was 16 and believe it or not, right after that, you know, when you, when you learn about something new, you start to see it everywhere. So, uh, you know, I got the stock market uh, challenge in school. I was like, wow, that was unbelievable. Well, my dad got this booklet in the mail from Larry Williams. He's like one of the, the greatest kind of all-time traders, big into futures. And it was this little booklet on how to trade futures and, and make huge money with. And I read that booklet like 10 times. And I told my dad, I said, dad, we need to open a futures account. I didn't really know much about futures. I wasn't trading or anything. I was underage. And he's like, no, we won't do that. But, um, you know, fast forward into college, I turned 18. My dad, I finally convinced him to co-sign on a TD Ameritrade or or was it a TD trade account, uh, E-Trade account. And um, I started trading and I went away on holidays. I made a fortune trading Palm Pilot. Do you remember Palm Pilot? Little oh, yeah, phones. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I came home from holidays. I made like eight grand with my like $2,000 account. And I was hooked. That was my first trade. I didn't even do anything. I just bought it and went on holidays. So that was like my, my kind of catch. And, um, and, and then my roommate was in web design and uh, in graphics and stuff like that. And I said, listen, I want to get in. I want to create a, a newsletter where I share my trades and research. I try and teach other people. And um, I sell a subscription. So he built a website and I started going on to chat forums and I started to build this newsletter. And I, so I did that in my dorm room. That was our dorm room newsletter. We ended up working together for about 10 years, built a, a booming business. And I ended up um, writing a book, you know, in 2014. And I ended up sending it to Larry. I said, Larry, I'd love for you to like review and comment on this. You got me into this sport, like into this business. And uh, so and, uh, he ended up doing a review on the back of my, my first book. And, and that was just like, that's amazing. Came full circle from starting to a book and now I'm training. I kind of just, you know, built out that newsletter, had it running on the side. It was just a perfect side gig because uh, I could still do other things. And um, I eventually got into uh, with my dad. So my parents were entrepreneurs. My mom had a hearing clinic for 25 years. My dad was a denturist. He sold his business. And so him and I were looking for something to do together. We're, we're a close family. And we're like, well, let's jump on a plane. Let's go to China. We'll go to the Canton World Fair. There's 40,000 products that we can pick from. There's got to be something new and cool. And so we hopped on the plane and we went down there and uh, we walked these warehouses that literally you could see the curvature of the earth. They were so long. And we had these little suitcases on wheels, travel suitcases, and literally every booth that had a product, it had their, their booth name. And we take it and throw it in the suitcase. And every night we'd sit down and it was a 12 hour time frame. We'd play cribbage and we would just sit there with these brochures saying, okay, yes pile, no pile, maybe pile. And by the end of it, we ended up uh, finding a product that really wasn't in Canada yet, which was the far infrared saunas. 
and they were made with Canadian red cedar. We're like, oh, this is perfect. We'll customize them. We'll, we'll bring them over. And him and I built a, a, a business called Lenson. My dad's name was Len. I'm his son. I'm like, let's get something like Toyota. We wanted something really cool. So we created this company called Lenson with like a health cross and the O. And um, we, we started this booming business, built a dealer network across Canada. It was one heck of a learning curve. We had some great experiences, some terrible experiences, made some bad calls, uh, really set us back, uh, you know. So we kind of got into that. And, you know, if we were to kind of touch on one of the biggest mistakes. So starting a physical product business was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was like the ultimate university course all wrapped into one. I ended up uh, going to Canada Customs. I learned how to do customs. So we did all our own paperwork because we didn't want to pay 500 bucks every time a container came across. And uh, I learned everything from product design, customer support, did all the manuals, the marketing. Uh, but the problem was our first shipment or two shipments that came over was uncertified. The company, they're it's tough to deal with China. They sent over uncertified product. We were rocking and rolling. We had pre-sold all the material, all, all the products. And then we found out that they weren't certified. They had kind of lied to us. And uh, we were down like 250 grand with two containers loads that had to go to the dump that we couldn't use. And uh, it was just a huge, huge setback. And we couldn't sell anything. They didn't get certified for another 18 months after that. And so that was like our biggest obstacle. And there is nothing more frustrating than having watching the rest of the world bring in the pro different products and, you know, come to life around us. And uh, But we, we rebounded with a vengeance when we finally got uh, booming again. We built this massive dealer network across Canada, the United States. We got on as seen on TV and we just went all out and uh, we were just selling them like hotcakes and until more or less the market got flooded. But uh, that was like a, a really amazing experience going from, uh, one of the things was I got to be a CEO. It was always my goal to be a CEO of a company. So we incorporated, I became the CEO and uh, literally created everything from ground zero. And eventually we packaged the business up and sold it off uh, because my father was moving back to to work with my mom in her hearing clinic. They had expanded and got more practices. And my newsletter business was booming. I was making more in a month from the newsletter that we were making in a year from the sauna business. But the sauna business was great because we traveled. We would drive along drives with truck and trailer to uh, dealers to deliver truck loans full of saunas and stuff. And him and I are like two guys. We sit in the car, we whistle. You put a song on, we can like whistle it perfect. It's, it's, it was a lot of good times. And so that was kind of one of those, those ventures that we got into. And my dad was big into real estate. He had over 1,500 units, mostly like Edmonton, Alberta area uh, with a partner. So he was huge into real estate. And uh, and then I started to get into real estate. In fact, I took, I read, you know, Don R. Campbell's books. I read a couple of his books, Real Estate in Canada, uh, Real Estate Investing, real estate investing in, Canada. in Canada. Yeah. I read his joint venture book. I actually um, was a member of Reen for a year oh, and I bought you? the Acre system. Why didn't we and ever I actually, know? We, we never met. Oh, wow. When were, were, do you remember when no. you were a member? Uh, six, seven years ago, maybe. Oh, wow. Maybe. We should have definitely crossed paths. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I took the Acre system. I ended up building my custom owned super suites, my uh, semi detached, high end, beautiful spots with accessory apartments underneath. On my one property, beautiful. I have them now. They're my, they're my cash for life type of, of system here. Uh, but I did the super suites, and which, you know, they walk in, everything's done for them. The yard's maintained. They walk in a beautiful package. I, I just followed the books and the acre system to the T. And now I've, I've, I own self-storage facilities as well, which 
I'm doing with my dad because we wanted to kind of do one last thing together. I'm like, let's do a self-storage facility together. Uh, we took a course and had built one of those. And my parents are entrepreneurs. They've had all kinds of different businesses and uh, side things, and, and they've done very, very well. So yeah, I'm from an entrepreneur family, and I've kind of done a lot as we go through all those different types of businesses. And you know, on the side, I, I like to invent stuff as well, which is really cool. So, you know, I want to go back a little bit, you know, in your story and, 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 and only because I picked up on, you know, you start to see these forks in the road of, you know, my guests all the time. And I often say, you know, what was a fork in the road for you? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, there was a couple there that I picked up on, not the least of which is one of the forks of the road for you was at 16 years old when you realized what the stock market could do. Then when you're a little bit older and you go on vacation and you go, oh no, it really does work. And you made a bunch of money. And and I can't, you know, I don't want to overstep the fact that we talk about two grand today or eight grand today, and it's really uh, doesn't have the impact. But back when you were doing that, two grand was a big amount of money. That was a pretty risky amount of money to throw in the stock market at that point. Two grand was a lot of dough. And uh, to make eight grand was a pretty big upside given the buying power of our dollars back then compared to where they are today. But something that stuck out for me, you know, Chris, is that, and I, and I see this often with entrepreneurs is that you and your friend, when you said, okay, I want to, you know, I kind of got a handle on this whole investing thing. You believed you did it to the degree, got it. But then you said, I want to do this newsletter. I want to share what I've learned with others and show them that they can do it too. And yes, I can build a business model out of it, or I can make a little bit of money on my newsletter, whatever your story was around that. But what I keep hearing with you, and maybe you could expand on it a little bit, is you recognize the fact that you like to be a contribution to support other success. Is that a real conscious thing? Or, or are you more aware of that now than you were back then? Or has it always been that way for you? Give me a little bit of background in that, because it's as much as you were there wanting to be profitable, and I get all that because it's business, mm -hmm. it was driven by more than just let's go out and make money. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but can you expand on that? Is Am I on the, the right path in terms of your thought process? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm for sure. So when I, when I was younger, when I was, you know, my 20s, killing it with the newsletter, making money I'd never thought I'd be making. I was I was all, I am more or less, I was all about the money. How can you not be drooling about it as, as a 20-year-old? Uh, making lots of money, but I've always I've always tried to help. I love to kind of teach, explain stuff. You know, I'm I'm big into personality, so I don't know if you're into the, like the Myers Briggs, the personality sure, test. Yep. So so like I, I'm an INTJ, which is considered like the scientist. I'm logical. Everything makes sense. I'm a little bone dry. I might might not be the the most can't connect emotionally with everybody. Yeah. But I I understand when I want to know something I dig deep and I learn everything about it. I feel like I'm a pro after a few months because I've literally watched and read everything there is about it, and and I like to explain. I like to show people how things work, and so I think that's always just been part of me. Every time I do something, it's always like I want to I want somebody to be part of it. Come on over, let's do this together. Check this out. I want to experience it with others. Like it's just it's just a lot of fun and watching the pain and living through the pain of going watching somebody lose their life savings and having to start over. I mean, it, it's a very difficult time. It's, you lose friends, you lose family. It's embarrassing. I mean, you, you just name it. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty shocking. And the last thing I want to do is have that happen to me. I don't want it to happen to anyone else. And, um, you know, now it's all about, I'm, I'm at a point financially where all I really want to do is help as many people as possible. Uh, and I'm on the same boat as they are. I want to protect my capital. 
I'm going to do everything I can to protect it and share everything that I'm doing and how uh, other people could do the same thing. But it's just it's just part of the way. I'm 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 a really nice guy, and um, I mean I'm always here to help. And the nice guy, I f- I found the nice guy usually gets screwed quite a bit. I've had some interesting confrontations, but that's what makes you who you are, and that's what sets you apart, and it just makes you a better person in the long run but uh it's funny yeah. it's funny you say that you know most people don't know it but i'm a really nice guy no i shouldn't say most people don't and <laughs> and because i come across as sometimes pretty forthright but the point is uh you know sometimes there is that story where i go yeah i think it's true nice guys finish last because that's sometimes how i feel in terms of getting beat up and and going how the hell did this happen i was just being a nice guy but there's a couple of things i want to pick up on there and i would like to talk a little bit chris is that you know here we are post pandemic the world is the way the world is uh when you look at what you've learned and you know when you talk about with your you know the people that you're educating and or supporting with your newsletter etc and guiding them and or giving them information and what's your philosophy when you look at investing how do you cover your assets, if you will? How do you, in fact, play defense while playing offense? That feels a little bit like one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. Uh, I know Mm -hmm. it's not that, but when you philosophically are explaining it to your community, uh, how do you position it so that people are understanding the difference between being defensive and offensive? and, And what's your guidance around that, given how the world's changed? Yeah. So without trying to get too technical, the, the bottom line is I, I look at the stock market. So everybody's got their own style of trading and, and there's certain assets everybody loves. Some people love precious metals, others like penny stocks, others like bonds or whatever it is. I, I found that um, there's certain assets that I want to be involved in that have a lot of potential. And to me, that is the U.S. stock market. To me, the U.S. stock market has got the most liquidity. It's got lots of volatility which means it's got lots of potential. It moves a lot, so we can make a lot when it has a nice move. Um, and so that's the, the top asset. So I look at the market through a lens of like a hierarchy. Which assets are at the top, the most powerful? And as you go down the hierarchy, uh, which ones have less volatility? They move slower, they're safer. Eventually, we get down to a cash position, which is as, pretty much as safe as you can go. So the way I trade or invest is simply follow price trends and we're looking at the hierarchy. And if the stock market is on an uptrend and gives us a buy signal, it doesn't matter if we're in any position lower in the hierarchy, we close that position and we move to stocks. We want to get in the leading horse, the one that's moving the fastest with a clean trend in play. Uh, If the stock market falls out of favor, then we sell that position and we potentially move to an asset that is lower on the hierarchy that is moving slower. Because typically if the stock market's falling volatility is up. There's a lot of fast movement. So we want to move to an asset that's moving much slower to counter the extra volatility in the market, right? The fear and greed waves. So we could move to bonds. Uh, If bonds aren't favorable, then we'll rotate to the dollar index, which moves very slow. Big day in the dollar is, you know, half percent, three quarters of a percent move. And then if nothing there is favorable for the dollar, we'll just sit in cash and collect interest. So as, as the market gets crazier and crazier, we're just moving down to safer and slower investments. And the nice thing about each one in the hierarchy is they're not correlated to each other. So the stock market could be falling, bonds could be going up, or stocks and bonds could be falling like in 2022, and the US dollar is screaming to the upside, which was the best, the best asset to be in in 2022. That was the play to be, super conservative, and it just screamed higher. So all we do is we take one position. We're in whatever asset is trending up that is that has strong technicals, 
And if nothing has strong technicals, we just wait in cash. And believe it or not, we sit in cash about 40% of the year, meaning our money is never at risk. Uh, we're collecting a little bit of interest. And then when something is really strong and, and a good play, we move into it, we make a killing, and we wait for that trend to end. And then we just rotate to the next asset. So we're not holding a basket of things and riding the everyday volatility. We're literally sitting back like a sniper and saying, okay, US equities are a buy. Let's get in. The NASDAQ's the strongest. Let's get in and ride it up. And, and that's what we do. And as soon as the technicals break down, we start peeling off profits, making our positions smaller. And eventually we have none left and we wait for a fresh new signal. So we literally only hold assets going up. That is our whole focus. Yeah. So you're not playing the downside. You're not selling anything short. We don't short, but when we do get into a, we didn't really cover it, but a stage four, which is a, a, a financial reset, like in the 2008 and 2000 tech bubble, when we get into a stage four, we actually play inverse ETFs. So as the stock market falls, we buy an inverse ETF that goes up in value the same amount that the stock market falls. So we can profit from falling prices, but it's got to be a bloodbath. The markets have to be in a clear downtrend. And that's the only time we'll bet kind of, you know, with a down, a falling market. So when you look at uh, what I'm hearing you say, you're, how would you define a diversified portfolio as far as an equity market goes based on your strategy, your thought process? Uh, how do you, it, it, what's diversified for you? Because you, we hear that term all the time. You got to diversify, uh, but right. what does it mean? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways we could look at it. This won't cater to um, passive investors, but a diversification between you know trading would be you've got a very short-term trade strategy that you're firing off trades every week. You've got one that has trades every you know couple of months, and then you've got longer-term trends. So you're diversifying over different timeframes. So, and, and so that's one way. But you know when it comes to diversifying in equities, either we're in them or we're not. And I just buy the SP 500 or the Nasdaq index. That is it. I don't get into individual stocks or anything like that. So we're, we're in or we're out. To me, diversification is owning different assets that are kind of not so related like stocks um, and then moving over to real estate and then moving over to, um, you know, like whole life insurance. There's all kinds of different ways that you can invest and, and kind of spread your money out and, um, and protect yourself. That to me is diversification, buying physical precious metals for, for inflation and for, you know, a kind of like an insurance policy in case uh, currencies go down and things like that. So to me, diversification is a spread out across outside of the stock market. Get get outside of that into different assets. Well, I think it's, you know, I know that uh, Jim Rickards aligns with that because it used to be diversification was he owned, uh, you know, 30 different stocks in different uh, sectors. And that was called diversification. You know, now it's diversification to your point. Is it some equities? It's some real estate? It's some precious metals? It's some Bitcoin, perhaps. And that's a more of a diversification, given what we don't know in the world is where things are going and you're hedging your bet. You're playing defense along the way. So all those are I guess part of the game that has changed and experts like yourself are looking at and stepping back from. And I mean, you yourself, you know, you talked about the real estate you owned and that's part, I guess, of a diversified portfolio is getting outside of any one sector and looking at where things could go. Are you along the same thought process? Uh, is that ultimately sitting in cash these days, I get it that, you know, you want to get into cash, when the time is right and out of cash when the time is right. But sitting on the sidelines and just, and there's a degree of liquidity that you have to have, but 
if you're if somebody's listening to this and they're they going, okay, I got a hundred grand or fifty grand or whatever the number is, I don't know what to do with it. What kind of I guess guidance or what perspective would you give them to say, well, here's how to look at that. You know, there is opportunities here and here. And I don't know, maybe you can't speak to that, but just a thought process around it, Chris. I mean, to me, the real goal is to always go for passive income. And real estate is such a no-brainer. The problem is most people don't, they're not in it for the long game. People just are impatient. They sell homes on average like every five years. I mean, and, and the stock market, you know, if you're really young, if you're in your 20s or early 30s, yeah, you could just dump it in and leave it. I think there's way better ways to do it. But I, if you had a certain amount of money, I do feel like we're going to see a reevaluation event across assets. I, you know, I've been liquidating and it got, I got a lot of cash reserves because I think we're going to see a good opportunity in real estate in the next few years. I think things are going to soften up. And I, I'm watching the markets very closely with one of my friends and a, and a young kid who's only uh, 14. He's interested in real estate, but we're going through. We go through every duplex and triplex in our town. And we talk about it's on the wrong side of the tracks. It's lipstick on a pig. It's a century home. Everything for sale right now is the worst home. I would never buy them. And they're selling at unbelievable pricing and they're in terrible locations. And I, I, I feel as though we're in like this bubble phase for real estate. It might take a while. Real estate is a slow moving beast. It happens typically after the stock market, the economy starts to go weak. It's very slow, but I do think there's going to be a great opportunity. And if I don't think now is the time to just dump it into like an equities play, I think uh, holding on to it until you know there's a really good investment, because I, I don't think there's a lot of good investments out there. And I'm almost nervous with the banking system as a bank could go under and take your money with it. Uh, banks are only insured for, you know, 100K in Canada, a bank account. Um, so it's not very much. So, I mean, I would look for, uh, with that money, the keys to buy into a beginning, a new bull market when one starts. And we're not, I don't think we're near one at this point. Uh, that's when you, I think you can dump it in and wait a long term or wait for the real estate to come around to, to pick up a, a multifamily property. When you look at what's happening, I mean, there's so much controversy right now around uh, just where debt has gone it, right across. I mean, globally, these are issues that are happening with every country. Canada is really not any exception to that. You know, the debt level of Canada and, of course, the uh, you know, the population in general, I think the recent numbers are 186%, whatever the number is of debt. We know that Canada, like the US, is a consumer-driven economy. Debt-driven consumerism is really what's driving this economy. And uh, that's a lot of that has to do with real estate and Gosh, it's just so crazy right now. But when you look at also what's happening in the U.S., so many conversations, so many pundits and talking heads out there going, you know, U.S. reserve currency going to go away. What's your thoughts on it? What what is what? Are, where are you in that conversation? Is uh, are we going to lose? Is U.S. going to lose that reserve currency status? Uh, any thoughts on that? Or how about your timing? Is that going to be next year? Or what's your, what's your view of the world? And I'm just kidding, Chris. I don't know anybody could yeah. call timing, but what's your view? Well, um, the only people who fill me in with breaking news is my 11 and 13 year old kids. <laughs> I haven't watched the news in over 10 years. Yeah. I still don't have cable. <laughs> and uh, I, I really, I really, I can't stand politics. I can't stand news. It's all negative. I live, I live in my own little bubble. We've got a great spot here. I just focus with my, with my subscribers. I help everybody. We trade. I, and I mean, I really stay out of that bubble because as soon as I listen to politics and what's going on in this world, it is so depressing and there's nothing positive about it. So 
I don't know. Everybody's been talking about the dollar collapsing for, you know, a decade or two. Yep. They've talked about silver going to the moon because the currencies are going to collapse and dollar's going to lose its reserve currency. It, there's probably a time when the dollar will lose its reserve currency. It's going to go digital. Something's going to change. I, I don't know. It is interesting, right? And I don't listen to any mainstream media at all, like no local news at all. Like I just don't waste my time. And uh, I... I can't help but being drawn into the politics because I see what our uh, current government is doing drives me freaking crazy. Uh, the level of incompetence and mostly the level of, uh, you know, the, the degree of not being accountable for bad performance just makes me, I can get fired up about politics. Make no mistake about that. We won't go down that path. But when I look at, you know, we have to, as investors, uh, I'm always looking for opportunities to say, okay, well, how do I preserve capital? How do I get a return on investment? And that's why, of course, I'm excited to have you on the show. Now, you did, I, I, you wrote a book, and it, did you write a second book, or was it the one book you wrote? I just, I want to get a little bit of into what those books or that book is about. Give me a little bit of background on the the book or books that you've written, Chris. Yeah, so I published two books last month in May, which. Uh, technical Trading Mastery. This is my second edition. So I wrote this first one, uh, the one that Larry Williams kind of reviewed back in 2014. This is a new one. This is, I literally went from almost 300 pages in the first book. The second edition is 120 pages. I'm like, you know what? Forget all the other stuff. Let's just dive into the meat and potatoes. This is what you need to know if you want to become a technical trader or investor. Uh, and then I worked on, uh, published another book called Asset Revesting, which is all about only holding assets that are rising in value through the eyes of a, uh, an asset hierarchy of only focusing on a certain set of assets and just rotating through those most liquid assets and uh, waiting in cash. And that's the strategy that I think is going to be like industry breaking. When, when you understand how it works, you see how it goes. And then you look at the buy and hold strategy. People are like, why the heck are we not doing this? Like the buy and hold makes no sense for the, it doesn't give you any protection to the downside. So the, these two books, they're kind of a bit different for different individuals. Technical trading's for that active trader, active investor who really wants to kind of feel and breathe and, and actively trade the charts. Whereas asset revesting, you're buying into a different style of investing, something that's just protecting capital always. And then when it's safe, it steps out of its shell and goes in and uh, invests. And uh, usually it's only for a few months and then you know, peels the money back and preserves it again. So it's, you know, a very kind of different way of investing compared to that buy and hold forever and hope and pray when you retire, you're not in the middle of a bear market or some type of recession. So along the way, you know, from an investment point of view, Chris, I mean, you've made like everybody in investing, you've made your mistakes, you've learned your lessons. Is there anything that stands out that you would, you know, caution investors around given, again, I know you're like me, you don't follow mainstream media, but there's still a lot of, I guess we'll call it clutter out there, given what happens in Twitter and or on some other social media platforms, you know, lots of uh, 30-year-olds getting rich in Bitcoin or whatever the story is that's going on. If you're kind of looking back, reflecting on not just lessons you've learned or uh, how about those that you've seen others, you know, the oversights or the mistakes made along the way, is there one or two kind of guiding tips or flags you would give to people to pay attention to as they look at where they might allocate capital as an investment? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing comes down to people's emotions and expectations. So people expect, it's difficult. There's different groups of traders and investors, right? You've got people who have smaller accounts, say, you know, 50K or 100K and less, 
that have to be fairly aggressive to try and generate big returns so they can either live off them or try and grow it rapidly so they can retire. So th they fall under a very kind of active um, side of things, and they are victim to news, to economic data. They get sucked up in the hype, and the you know the media is great. How they word stuff, it just always makes you nervous and scared. They, they get stuck in the emotional loop, and then on top of it, they don't typically have a strategy in place to, to be able to execute those trades and navigate them. They're trading off waves of fear and greed. They're buying at the wrong times, and um, they're over-trading. And for some reason, traders think the more you trade, almost the more money you can make. And I, I think it's completely backwards. I think, you know, my whole strategy is how do I do the fewest amount of trades with the smallest potential losses and make the most money? And I can tell with my strategy, with my asset investing strategy, I tell subscribers, I'm like, we are like three or four days away from a potential buy signal. It's a kind of a nightly update. And then sometimes I'll be like, guys, we're like, we're a month or two away from, you know, getting out of a signal or potentially getting into a new one. And so we can go out and do other stuff. We're not glued to the screen, but short-term traders feel like they need to trade and they're out there hunting for trades. And when you're looking for a trade, your brain will find one. And it might not actually be a good trade. It's just they're looking for one because they think they need one and they want to do trades. It is addicting. It is like gambling. It has a huge rush to it. And uh, it really sucks people in and, and really kind of screws them over. Um, and then you've got the more passive investors who are, they're all about how do I protect my, my retirement? How do I, you know, not get caught on the wrong side of this down move? I'll do whatever it takes uh, to do it. And they're willing to, you know, actively manage their long-term positions, which doesn't require much. We can just shuffle things around. Uh, so it really just comes down to, you know, having that mindset of you can't make fast money in the market. It's just a fluke or it's not sustainable if you do. In, the stock market is a long-term game. It is not something for quick riches. You have to expect it's going to take years and years and years to build your portfolio out, your value. And it's just like it's just like um, real estate. But people think because there's fast stuff moving all the time that they should be making a fortune and doubling their account every year. It's not the reality. If you're trying to do that, you're going to blow up your account. I've blown up several accounts when I was learning. And it's you have to hit bottom. Typically, you got to lose everything or have a, a serious catastrophe. I mean, we've got we've had subscribers in the past. They lose their shirt, like in 2008, uh, not specifically for my signals, but everything blows up, and they're like, you know, it was the worst experience of my life. I had like seizures, uh, lost my wife, all kinds of stuff. Like these these bear markets, these stage four declines are so dangerous. There's 6,500 suicides directly related to falling stock prices in 2008 to 2009. That's prices just fall and it's literally killing people. So people don't realize how dangerous we're, we're walking on this edge of another one happening. And, and so I think the biggest thing people can realize is the stock market is a slow but steady way to build growth. Real estate, if you put real estate in stocks long-term, they're kind of neck and neck. If you do it properly, they both make the same returns and keep on going. Uh, and so, you know, diversifying between the two and realizing it's not a short-term game, it's a long-term war, and you're always at battle with the stock market trying to take your money. The second your money goes in, it's going to try and find a way to, to take it back. So it's, you got to protect it, right? So give me a little bit of a view. I got, I still want to talk about a couple other things, but just because we're here in this segment, 
What's your view in terms of, you mentioned uh, precious metals, gold, silver, do you favor one or the other? Uh, should somebody hold some physical gold from your point of view, physical gold, silver in a portfolio? Uh, give me a little bit of your kind of philosophy on that, Chris. Yeah, so I, I think you should. I, I think it's highly addictive. Once you buy a gold and silver bars, you've got them in your hands. They have a, I actually have, I have a stack here because I'm always on these shows. But there's, some, there's something about having like, you know, these coins rattling in your hands and the weight behind them. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer of diversifying into some precious metals. And I'm not a big fan of buying ETFs or, or funds that say they hold them because a lot of them don't actually hold them. It's on paper. Yeah. When there is, if there ever is a big catastrophe, a currency crisis, you might not get your gold. And I've seen ETFs blow up. I've seen uh, very big funds just disappear with all their investors' money because they're not built right. They don't actually have the assets behind them. So to me, owning some physical precious metals, I look at it as though it's like buying insurance on your house and, you, and your car. It's there for protection in case you need it. Uh, the nice thing is once you buy gold, it's a one-time premium, one-time investment, and it doesn't really cost you every year. And if there is a catastrophe, we're going to eventually see the price of precious metals skyrocket to counter losses elsewhere. I don't think you're going to get rich because you don't really need, I wouldn't buy tons of precious metals three, five, 10%, uh, you know, is potentially more than enough. But if something was to drop very sharply and precious metals skyrocket, you know, your losses in maybe real estate or whatever other investments you have will hopefully be negated with the value. It's really just like a physical insurance plan is the way I see it. And I agree with that, by the way, I'm like you, I don't look at gold and or silver as an investment. I really don't. I look at it as you know, it's really just a hedge. It is an insurance policy. And ultimately, I don't look at it as anything more than that. You know, it's shaking uh -huh. gold, which I consider money and it's exchanging it for fiat currency. That's it. Yeah. It's the exchange of one value or one, you know, one, I, we can't call it fiat, but one currency for another, you know, it's real money called gold versus fiat currency. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's that simplified. I don't look at it and say, I'm going to buy it and sell it. Uh, that's the game that I play. So I'm on that page in yeah. terms of the insurance side of things. And uh, I think what, that makes good sense. Go ahead. Yeah. What's really interesting is here in Canada, we've got Rogers, Rogers cable, which is like a pretty big uh, network for internet. And we had it go down. And of course, I grabbed my laptop. I'm like, I have to go in town to a cafe so I can do my morning report for subscribers. I don't know what's going on. The internet's down. Of course, my cell's on it or house is on it. And I jump in town. I end up finding a cafe with a different internet provider. And I'm sitting there doing my morning report. And some guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, Chris. He goes, I've been following you for years. He goes, he goes you don't know me. But anyways, he sat down. We start talking. And he ended up filling his car up at the gas station with two silver rounds, he topped his car up. He's like, I've always wanted to see if uh, you can't pay with Interact, you can't, you can't do it if the precious metals come out to play. And he did. And he was like, this just goes to show the value of just having, you know, if all hell goes loose, breaks loose, and the internet goes down, there's some giant EMF that neutralizes America or something, you're going to wish you probably had some silver rounds because you can go swap it for a tank of gas, for food. The most basic, this is, this is a real currency. It's physical it has value. If your phone isn't working, you can't swipe, you are absolutely screwed no matter how much money you have. So having some, some rounds is not only cool, I give them away to kids and stuff for their birthdays and uh, to other people because they're just shocked by it, but it is just a really cool thing to have. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. And it is interesting that, you know, this conversation for, of course, the silver bulls and the gold bulls and or the precious metal bulls. I mean, these conversations have been happening in that world for years and years and years and years. You know, I'm, I'm relatively new to it. I mean, I started investing in precious metals or buying precious metals probably 10 years ago. Uh, but, you know, it it is today more prominent than ever, given where the world seems to be going. And of course, Bitcoin, I want to touch on it from your perspective. You know, my view of Bitcoin is, is that I own some Bitcoin and I look at it again as I want to tap into that technology because I think that is the direction that it's going. Uh, do I own a lot of it? No. But have I transacted in it? Yes. And I have to tell you that the convenience factor is huge. I've recently had to wire money somewhere and I'm going, isn't that a pain in the ass? And it was an yeah. international wire, so I couldn't even do it from the comfort of my own home. I had to go to the bank, stand in line, and I'm going, gosh, if you guys took Bitcoin, you know, just give me your wallet and, uh, you know, I'll fire it off to you. But that wasn't the scenario. And you start to realize that technology, there's a lot of convenience behind it. And that, by the way, is not where I go when I talk about CBDC. That's a whole different conversation, not interested, by the way. So just to make that clarifying point, what's your thoughts on Bitcoin and, well, cryptocurrency overall, but what's your thoughts on Bitcoin, Chris? Yeah, so I've never been a big crypto bug. I, I mean, I always invest in what I know really well, and I just never fully embraced it. And to me, it's like a penny stock. It moves like literally 10 to 20% a day at times. I, I don't want to throw a large sum of money at something that I just wake up and it's down because another site got hacked and <laughs> some scandal or somebody pumping it, right? So to me, it's still the Wild West. It is now tapped into the financial system. There's futures traded around it. It's maybe stabilized it a little bit, but I don't mess with fire. I, I mean, it's it's just not my thing. I own some and I literally have owned it for years and years. And I I might buy some more someday, but I just, it doesn't interest me. I'm all about building wealth through the equities markets, what I know, where there's liquidity and, and in real estate, those are kind of my core, my core things. So, yeah. And I don't look at Bitcoin and just for the topic of discussion, I don't look at Bitcoin for me again, it's understanding the, how it works, how ETH works, because ETH and Bitcoin are the two. And I say areas of interest, you know, I want to make sure I have a wallet. I want to have a cold wallet. I want to have some storage. I want to have ability to, to your point earlier, is that given what's going on in banking systems, given what's going on in the world, these are just hedges. They're more insurance policy. I'm not investing in and out of Bitcoin and or any cryptocurrency for that matter. I've got accounts, I open them, I've got cold wallets, I've got all of those things, which is again, more of an insurance policy. You know, uh, some people stock food, you know, it's like whatever that might be for you, how do you hedge your bet against what's going on? A question I do have for you, though, is given you're aware of what's happening in the world, and as we go forward into the future, given what's happening at a global level, how are you staying optimistic about it? I mean, you've got two young children, it sounds like, two or three. How do you stay optimistic about the future? Do you just ignore the news, or are you built to be optimistic because you have reason to be? Give me some of your kind of philosophy on that side of it, Chris. Yeah, things seem to be getting really haywire. Uh, and it, it's nerve-wracking. I I generally never get worked up. I don't get, you know, I think the politics stuff going on right now is, it's pretty extreme. And I mean, I, I always just try and think positive. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about this world, what it's coming to, what people are doing, how some people can run the world. And I mean... How, how is there not a better person for <laughs> for running some of these countries? It's it's pretty crazy. 
I mean, we've got millions, hundreds of millions to pick from, but um, uh, yeah, politics, it just gets under my skin. I try not to uh, follow it too much. I try not to let it bother me, but for sure, right now more, I'm more concerned about kind of the future than I ever have just because what people are doing and um, it worries me what my kids are going to be growing up through. And all I'm doing is protecting my capital, protecting what we have, because I don't know how ugly things are going to get. So I would, I want to be packaged and bundled up and I uh, know I'm secure uh, in case all hell breaks loose because who, know, who knows what's going to happen uh, going forward. Well, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I've got grandchildren. So I do look in, you know, I have a lot of uh, compassion and empathy for my daughter and son-in-law, given what they're facing with a, you know, a seven-year-old and a six-year-old. And what does that mean going into the future, given what's happening politically, what's happening in schools and the education system? Uh, it is very, very concerning and it is a head scratch. And the reason I bring that up is that you know, let's face it, we're in probably, I think, the most uncertain time that I have ever been through. I mean, I've been through some tough times, you know, in the 80s, the 70s, the 90s. I've been through it all. I've been on this planet long enough to have experienced a lot of uh, recession, uh, ups and downs and all the rest of it, as well as real estate. And, you know, what gives me optimism, and and, and I'm not saying this because I, I believe this, is having followed somebody like you, hearing a little bit, having a conversation with you, what leaves me with some optimism is there is individuals like you who are grounded in what they do. You have a level of expertise. You have great intentions in terms of what it is you're trying to provide, because that's what I believe people need. You know, my wife and I, we do, Stephanie, we have this, you know, I have this podcast called The Everyday Millionaire, and then I have a podcast that I do with my wife called The Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters. And a lot of the things that we're dealing with is just what people are going through these days and how do you see your way through it. And I think that if nothing else, this podcast, and I know that's your intention, is that you're a grounding force. You know, you're not into the emotionality of it. You're aware of it, but you're not buying into it. And that I think is important for anybody when they're trying to say, where do I invest my capital? You know, how do I invest my capital? I mean, we got to, uh, you know, I think there's a there's a place where individuals like yourself are those good guides in terms of here, let me show you and, and give you some philosophy, some thought processes. Here's what's worked, you know, and I just appreciate that. And I think it's important to, to point it out, Chris, is that, you know, the service you provide and what you do and how you show up is just really important to those who aren't skilled, who don't know any of this. You know, it always surprises me. I saw it was a, and it, I, I don't know how old it was, but somebody was walking down the street and they had a bar of silver and three chocolate bars. And they were walking down the street randomly going, okay, here's a 10 ounce bar of silver. Here's three chocolate bars, three bars. What do you want? And out of 10 people they stopped on the street, all 10 of them took the chocolate bars. I went, what the hell is going on? I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that's my I've point. I've seen some like that. People need, some, you know, people need support. They need that guidance and that grounding. And so as we start to wind down, I want to make sure that, you know, you feel like, is there anything that you would want to add to this discussion that we've had, uh, Chris, that maybe we've overstepped or I've not asked the right question that you're going, ask me this question. So I always like to just make sure that, you know, my guest has an opportunity to really kind of, there's something I want to add. So is there anything for you? You know, as an investor, I think it's really important to understand um, how the financial markets work, like the the stock and equities markets, the economic cycles. I think there's there's not 
that much to fully to actually understand it. I, I actually have a uh, an infographic that people can download on my website for free. It's a one pager, and it breaks the stock market and the economic cycle into three different pictures. And you know, in seconds, you can you can go. Okay, we're here in this stage analysis. There's four stages. Uh, we're we're here in terms of uh, what assets are performing best right now, which ones have fizzled out. So we know where we are in the overall cycle between the stock market cycle and the economic cycle. They both move at different times. Uh, and then there's the emotional cycle of where people are emotionally within this cycle. And so we can look at those and I cover it all the time. You know, it's pretty clear. Okay, we're right here. This is this is what should be happening next over the next, you know, three, six, 12 months, um, maybe a little longer. And how you need to kind of be protected on that side. And I think a lot of people are just so blind by the economic and the financial cycles at play. And the financial industry has just been so passive and just, uh, they've created a system that is really simple to for them to manage the money, which is to just buy something and leave it. Um, but it's not protecting anyone, right? So I think if people can just see how the market moves from these three different views and be like, okay, I get where we are. That actually kind of makes me nervous. Do I really want to risk you know, however much you have in your retirement account, all because of, you know, uh, do I want to be in the buy and hold or do I want to actually put something in place to move to cash if things start to, to go south? So, I mean, that's the, the biggest thing is if I could just show people where we are in these type of cycles, you might think differently about just turning a blind eye and be like, you know, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Because the last time a setup like this happened, you know, it took usually the average bear market takes about seven years to recover from. And if you're close to retirement, you just delayed retirement seven years, or you're burning through your money in retirement while it's drawn down in value, and you fall, you know, to these problems of it's called sequence of returns risk, meaning you're burning and using money, withdrawing it from your account while it's lower in value. And when the market does rebound, you never actually rebound, and that's how most people go broke in retirement. And uh, I actually was talking about uh, in a, a presentation. There's Eighty-one percent of individuals end up running out of money in retirement. That is a scary number. Wow, I did. I had no idea that it was that big. Wow, that is a lot. It is. It's unbelievable. Forty-one percent of households run out of money in retirement. Eighty-one percent of individuals run out. And it, it. What's really interesting is so I follow I, personality stuff with the Myers Briggs, and there's sixteen personality types, and you really need to know yourself because once you know who you are, what where your strengths are, your weaknesses are. You can navigate and find ways for your brain to make money. Uh, we all have unbelievable powers once we know where our strengths are. And um, there's 81% of the personalities, I think it was 13 out of 16, I think it was, do not favor financial um, uh, like investing in stock markets. It, makes, it means you're very emotional, you're, you're emotionally driven. And it's interesting that three different reports came in and three different analysis that all come equal to about... 81% because out of 41% of households was on average about two people per household. Uh, so it's really interesting that most people don't realize if you are one of these personality types, you should seek somebody who can fill that void and make sure you're making the right decisions. And um, that's kind of, I, I talk about that in my book, uh, which is available on Amazon, which is called the asset revesting. So that's kind of the, the biggest thing is to know yourself, know where your strengths are, know what you're comfortable with potentially losing if things get bad? Are you in a situation where you want to ride out this market? So that's terrific. You know, Chris, um, 
I'm seeing, you know, for those who are on audio, uh, would be, I'll put it all in the show notes and for YouTube, of course, we'll put it in the description, but the technicaltraders.com is that the best place for, uh, listeners to go to, to actually find out more about where your books are and all of the other things that you do. Is that the best place for them to go? Yep. That's the best place. The technicaltraders.com. And, uh, yeah, everything's right there. There's a blog post with videos kind of covering what you and I did, but in, in technical depth and uh, lots of great free information for people to, to get a feel of what I do and, and what's going on. Chris, I want to just say thanks so much for joining me on the show. There's so much in here and I really appreciate it. You know, it's interesting, your background, it's fun to uh, kind of understand the journey to get to uh, where you are today. And, uh, you know, it comes through trials and tribulations, right? It's, uh, again, you learn your lessons along the way, like going to the gym, you know, we uh, get stronger by having to do the heavy lifting. And uh, some of those lessons or some of that heavy lifting, we we kind of fail, right? We don't quite make it. But those are the lessons that you've uh, learned and gained along the way. And of course, working with lots of investors over the years. So folks, if you're listening to this, you know, go to thetechnicaltraders.com. You know, follow Chris, look at his stuff. He's got lots of free stuff on there. Uh, I have followed Chris for a while. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to actually speak with him. And uh, really glad to hear that you're Part of the real estate investment network at some point uh, you've read the book i can't even tell you how many people i've talked to over the years that read real estate investing in canada and of course the joint venture book don r campbell is an old friend of mine so i know him well of course so uh, chris thanks for your time your energy and what you brought to the table today thanks patrick it was a pleasure ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.